0: foul, will take a shot downfield, and it is handed by Bryce Bobo, what a one-handed catch! You Remember that for your highlight show tonight.
1: Drew Cobb to the corner for Carrington, intercepted!
0: Nip. It's by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose, and it is picked up by Jacob Collier. Collier's got it to the four yard line. A turnover, and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Oh,
1: there's Lindsay. He's gone. Lindsay's gone. Lindsay. Montez with all kinds of time. Hears back, rifles it
0: downfield. Shea fields. Over left shoulder, makes a grab. Runs away from a defender at the 10. Into the end zone. Big play, Shea. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado.
1: Welcome into to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Tiger, publisher of buffstampede.com. Here with Tyler Ziskin. Our fan correspondent no sponsor this week. If you have interest in sponsoring this podcast, email me at adamcm777 at yahoo.com. Tyler, there was uh, some disappointment down in the desert for the Buffaloes. Yeah, uh, we've kind of gotten used to that, I think, down there. But yeah, we definitely gave ourselves uh,
0: less chances than were necessary for this game. I think it felt like the game could have been over in the first half and we just let them hang around and eventually they wore us down, which is going to happen quite a bit with Personnel we have on our D-, D line right now, so yeah, can't be dropping wide open touchdown passes.
1: Yeah, even in the second half when they had a 10 point lead, you still felt uneasy just because it's hard to like leave that many points on the board and beat a Pac 12 team. And uh, you know, the crazy thing is, as talented as Demario Richard and Kalen Balaj are, ASU's run offense would really was really struggling this year, so for them. Uh, to have the success they did now in the stress really again emphasizes just how poor this this run defense is. Yeah, I mean it's historically bad at this point. Uh, you know
0: you know it's coming every single week. We still haven't done anything to stop it. Uh, they were using Ryan Muller in that buff backer role, obviously until he got hurt. We'll see what they see if they try to go bigger there now since obviously
1: they don't feel like they need to get him on the field. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see who fills that role. I mean I agree with McIntyre in the sense it doesn't seem like a glaring schematic thing. It's not like there's these huge gaps that they're running through it's they're basically at least in that game specifically they were just running over guys
0: yeah we don't tackle well we're undersized and you can tell they just don't have as much in the weight room some of those guys as teams were facing and they wear down i mean we don't have last year you had that rotation that you could run through there's just not a lot of personnel on the d-line that you can actually play right now
1: it was a good trip until that fourth quarter perfect 80 degree weather out there in phoenix (laughs) i uh Got to hike Camelback Mountain, went to a petting zoo with my daughter, who was uh, there visiting, her grandmother, and got attacked by goats. Nice. Did you know that goats will do anything for a plain cone? They eat, like, you know, like, instead of the ice cream, just the cone part of it. like the cone? They got bad taste buds. (laughs) I uh, walked into this pen with a cone, and literally there were eight goats, like, jumping on me to get this cone. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, back to football. Let's kind of rehash a little bit of this football game before we look ahead to senior day and USC coming to town. You got the first drive where Montez misfires. He has Lindsey streaking towards the end zone wide open, misses, miss throws there. Jay Mack, it seemed like he had an opportunity to throw a touchdown on the next play. Um, So you have James Stefano come in, he makes a field goal, and actually at that point, CU manages to, to get its first lead against ASU in Tempe since joining the Pac 12. Then Shea Fields. Wide open, should have been a 76-yard touchdown on a flea flicker, but he drops it. CU's so forced to punt there. So right there, you're looking at it. They should be up 14-0 right out the gate, and then could have totally seized momentum with a 21-0 lead after Philip Lindsay's touchdown early in the second quarter, but instead they're just clinging to a small lead. If the Busville make a bowl game this year, how much is that stretch early in that ASU game going to be remembered?
0: Uh, Quite a bit, as it should be. Um, You know, quarterbacks miss throws. That happens to everybody. Obviously, you don't want to do it on back-to-back plays. But, I mean, you watch every game. There's a a touchdown out there that a guy overthrows or underthrows. That happens quite a bit. Not often do you see wide receiver just blatantly drop. I mean, he could have walked backwards into the end zone from there. That's how wide open Shea Fields was in that game. And just, he wasn't even really that close to catching it. (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't like he bobbled it a few times and it fell out. Like, he just blatantly missed it. Uh, yeah, I was I was working, so I didn't get to see every single play of this game, but I did see that play, and I was less than thrilled.
1: LaVisca Chenault, Jr. Bueller. 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 The man is averaging 29 yards every time he touches the ball. Of course, those touches have been limited, but still... You gotta get Chennault on the field for a few targets a game, right? He played on special teams, so it's not like he was hurt or absent from the game. But I didn't see him out there at all offensively.
0: Yeah, I'm not really sure what the mindset is behind who's going out. I mean, Shea has played better in the last two weeks, even though he dropped that pass. He still had 130 some yards receiving, I think. So it's. I understand that you don't want to sit your seniors in favor of these freshman guys, but, I mean, do you? at some, time, at some point you got to go four wide or something, like get him out there in some capacity because he's making plays. Or, I mean, put him in the back. There's got to be something that you can do to get him on the field. I don't know what that would be necessarily, but him just not playing is not acceptable at this point.
1: Yeah, you, I'm not saying you, you put Shea Fields on the sideline for majority of the game, but you put Chenault out there. For 10 plays in a game, you target him three or four times until, again, other teams can prove that they can stop him. I mean, his one non-catch when they targeted him, he basically saved an interception, right? Man, still almost caught it, there Still almost yeah, caught still it. So I had to yeah. review it and see if he caught it, yeah. Derek McCartney uh, was another was a bright spot in this uh, past football game. but I think his best performance post-ACL injury... Yeah, he seems to have slowly kind of come along a little bit. You can still
0: see... Cerebrally, he's very smart. He can always snuff out the screens and stuff like that. He always makes plays there, it seems like, every game, but not as many impact plays and obviously isn't rushing the passer very well this year. It's not a huge surprise, obviously, coming off an ACL. It usually takes guys a full year to recover and then another full year to kind of get their mojo back from there, it seems like. So it's not too surprising to see him, but it's nice to see him kind of finish on the right note because he's had a little bit of an interesting
1: career. Yeah, 14 tackles against the Sun Devils, a career high, and two big pass breakups. I think they were – were they both on third down? One of them was a a really big play. Uh, Going back to offense, another thing that kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit is the fact that Josh Kaiser started at right tackle over Isaac Miller. It seemed like Isaac Miller was finally trusting that knee and was seemingly getting quite a bit better.
0: Yeah, I think – I'm not 100% sure about the personnel on ASU there, but I just assume they have a powerful guy on that end, that they're trying to get a little bit more size over at right tackle rather than speed in that combination. I'm not sure the mindset there. But, yeah, Miller obviously (laughs) doesn't have the overall size that you'd want to see from a starting offensive lineman. He's a little more athletic than Kaiser, though.
1: Yeah. Alex Kinney had a 67-yard punt uh, in the game but also had one blocked. Uh, As we've discussed, it's close to impossible to win a football game in college football if you uh, have a punt blocked. It's not – I think it's easy to say the shield formation uh, needs to be fixed because this is now – was that four blocks in the last two years? And then even didn't they have one blocked at Hawaii the year before that? Yep. Um, To play devil's advocate – Going into last week, and see you ranked number 17 out of 130 FBS programs in punt efficiency. uh, Even with that block in the Washington game. Last year, they ranked 113th. So they've gotten a lot better in terms of their punt efficiency. Um, If it was your call, would you stick with this? Or would you try to go to a a traditional formation?
0: I mean, he's done a little bit of the traditional formation stuff too. And that's worked out just fine. I'm not... I mean, obviously, I don't really think this was Alex Kenny's fault, do we? I mean, the guy did whiffed on the block. He didn't even touch him. Like, obviously, he could have gotten it off quicker, but that's not the goal of the play there. You're trying to take as long as possible, and you're assuming that the guy is actually going to touch someone who's in, right. in the shield formation, I assume. Kenny was out, honestly great in this game before that. Uh, a couple huge pin back blocks, or uh, punts, excuse me. And he's been good all year. Yeah, I mean, special teams... Has been largely excellent this season, so it's hard to really like fault them and say that there's a huge. I mean, obviously mistakes happen, but both of them have come in huge momentum-breaking parts of football games. I mean, we were in, we were winning that Washington game, I yeah. think, at that point, and we're obviously winning the Arizona State game as well. You know, that's could be the difference between us being easily bowl eligible at this point.
1: Yeah, I mentioned they're 17th in the country in terms of punt efficiency, and they're. Uh, 20th in third among Pac-12 programs in total special teams efficiency even after that block in the AACU game. Uh, so yeah that hasn't been their biggest weakness but w- again when that when you get a pump block it's such a momentum shifter. Yeah. Um, how many teams in college football do the, the shield formation? I haven't really paid that close of attention to it. Yeah you know
0: I haven't really either. A lot of teams definitely do it though um, but I don't know what the percentages are. I mean obviously there's got to be something they like about it but You know, it's hard to overall. Obviously, they've been very good on special teams, so it's hard to really nitpick on this particular aspect. And maybe about you couldn't improve much more from 113th to 20th in one year. So, um, obviously, Rossell is doing a nice job there overall. But yeah, two huge
1: plays. Steven Montez threw for 345 yards, breaks the school record for most consecutive passes without an interception, breaking Sefa Lufau's mark there. But he did throw a pick on the final play of the game. I mentioned a couple missed throws early in the game, and then he missed one late. But by and large, you're going to take that performance from Steven Montez.
0: I mean, I mean, yeah, if you don't take
1: 345 yards. You just don't like Steven
0: Montez at this point. Uh, again, not really the reason we lost. Uh, you know, Of course, there's always going to be some throws out there that he doesn't hate that you want him to. We've said that from the beginning. He's going to have those moments. But at the end of the day, his numbers were pretty legit, and he did enough for us to win.
1: Yeah. Uh, aside from the loss and, and just not being able to gain bowl eligibility, the the worst news to come out of Tempe on Saturday night was the fact that Tim Lanotte Jr. Uh, tore his Achilles, is going to need surgery. Actually, we're recording this Wednesday. He's supposed to be going in for surgery today. I've gone in for that Achilles surgery. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Tim Winnott's a really good kid, so you feel really bad for him. Aside from the football part of it, and with the football part of it, this is already an O-line that's struggled at times this year. Uh, you got to worry about that group the next two games. Yeah,
0: I mean, you have to worry about him every game, but it's going to be even worse this week probably. Yeah, it's a bummer for him, man. I mean, he's had... A lot of ups and downs Always he's been here, and by and large, though, he's been probably our first or second best lineman since he's been starting. Uh, you know, Achilles is tough to come back from, especially for a lineman. Obviously, you're, you're doing a lot of action every single game where that could be a problem for you moving forward. So we'll have to see how he rebounds strength-wise. He's already a smaller guy.
1: Yeah, the key there is just not compensating, at least... Again, I don't have the resources that Tim Lanotte did, but I try to come back playing basketball too early, and then all of a sudden my right Achilles and my right leg is having issues because you're not even thinking about it. You're just naturally compensating. Um, So hopefully they give him time. But I I think that is an injury now. They've gotten better uh, in terms of the rehab process with that. Mike McIntyre said they expect him to be ready to go when camp starts. So we'll see there. But uh, I'm pretty optimistic that I think by the time next season starts he'll be uh, ready to go. This is going to be Phil Lindsay's last home game as a Buffalo. Uh, time to insert the crying emoji here. Yeah, it's a
0: bummer, man. He's had a huge year. He's. I hope they find a way to keep this kid around the program because he's just unbelievable. For the program, Um, I don't know if he needs to be like selling tickets or what. Whatever he needs to do, man. Like you could put him out there anywhere and sell the
1: buffaloes to a kid. I mean, like
0: you imagine him recruiting. (laughs) (laughs) He's
1: gonna be (laughs) be fighting crime, Tyler, didn't you hear? He wants to be a police officer. Okay, sweet. That's awesome too. As long as he works to see you (laughs) games, we need him out there. I don't think he's a guy that can beat. He's kind of like Kevin Garnett. He's like too competitive. I can't see him being able to like watch the game without running out on the field himself. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's a bummer, though, man. See, it's one of those things you don't really realize,
0: guys disappear until this moment comes. Like, it hadn't really occurred to me that Philip Lindsay was no longer going to be out there for us to watch until this week, which yeah. I wish I would have given myself a little more time to prep for it because now I'm pretty bummed about it. But I hope he goes out, and he's got two more games, obviously one at home. I hope they give him the ball 56 times.
1: Well, there's never been a more obvious choice for the Buffalo Heart Award ever. Yeah. Um, unanimous yeah he would would need 374 rushing yards in the next two games to pass Eric bien as the school's all-time leading rusher I mean you have to say that's close to impossible but with Phil you never know Uh, that's that's a lot of yards to have to put up in two weeks it's a lot I mean honestly against USC he'll probably do pretty well it's
0: the Utah game that makes it tough for me they obviously have an unbelievable run defense pretty much every year so it's hard to really expect him to go off in that game but uh, I hope he does it. It would be pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, he says he wants to try to play in the NFL, but he, he does, as I mentioned, have that backup plan of wanting to be a police officer. It's funny, after I uh, tweeted out that quote from Mike McIntyre, the C-Unit had uh, a tweet that said, What will you do if Phil Lindsay pulls you over? <laughs> what would you Get do, his Tyler? Autograph. Get his autograph. <laughs> yeah. yeah, somebody's on Give that. You a ticket, uh, whatever it is. Just put your signature on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, somebody uh, said they, they'd start singing the fight song and then ask for his autograph. That's probably the way to go. Yeah, would he let you off if he sang the fight song? I Credibility think, issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lindsay's—he's uh, <laughs> got good morals. I think if you're going fifty-five and a fifteen, you're probably going to get his ticket. It yeah. probably depends on how egregious right. <laughs> your, your speeding is. Yeah. There are 20 other seniors set to play in their last game at Folsom Field. Who else are you really going to miss seeing run out behind Ralphie? Uh, Ryan Moeller, kind of that
0: similar mindset. He, just, he has a cool story and definitely won't miss seeing him out there. Honestly, there isn't a whole lot of other guys that I'm really too bummed about. I don't know if that's really just because I'm giving all my energy to Phil at this point or if there's just other guys that I just don't have that much of a connection with. But um, I mean, I guess a little bit Devin Ross. Um, Just so consistent overall for me. Kind of always didn't get enough love, in my opinion. guy who kind of just worked his way through. I liked watching him play quite a bit.
1: Okay. From an interview standpoint, I'm going to miss Leo Jackson. He's a g- good person to talk to. Jeremy Irwin is always a good interview because he'll talk really candidly, give you a few funny one-liners. Jonathan Huckins is a pretty uh, charismatic kid, too, just from an inter- interview standpoint. You mentioned Ryan Mole, He's not going to be able to play on senior day. Isaiah Oliver's status is unknown. McIntyre said they didn't know until five minutes before the ASU game he wasn't going to be able to play, which is obviously not accurate because 45 minutes before that he's out on the field in street clothes while everybody else is warming up. Maybe he meant that more as kind of a game day type thing. I don't know.
0: Yeah, or you know, just embellishing a little bit, like just trying to say it was right before the game. But, yeah, I mean, at this point it seems like he's kind of playing with our emotions here with Isaiah Oliver. I'm just assuming he's out for the year, honestly, because yeah. they you know, they keep saying he's going to play and then he doesn't yeah. play. So, um, that's a bummer because he obviously would have helped us quite a bit in the last two weeks. He's a big part of what we do defensively. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we'll have to
1: see who comes out there and steps up. USC is a – well, before I said that, this could potentially be Isaiah Oliver's last game. For if, sure. If he plays. Um McIntyre was asked about his draft prospects recently, and he was kind of vague on it. I think he probably realizes that Isaiah Oliver's winning the NFL, but doesn't want to quite admit it to himself yet. Right. Well, I don't want to admit it to myself either, probably. But if he is really
0: hurt, I mean, that's going to hurt his stock. I know that's a bummer for him, obviously. That's not what you want to have happen. But if he's out and can't do drills and stuff, he's going to fall. That's just how it goes.
1: He's got plenty of time, though. Most of the combines. The combine is when? February? I think it's. March,
2: a, April, yeah, something I think, it's, it's, I think cool. it's the end
1: of February. February, okay. USC is eleven and zero all time against the Buffs, but CU has lost the last two games against the Trojans by a combined seven points, three points, and four points in those two games. Um, so they've gotten closer, but it's another week where it seems like not the best of timing. Mean, it seems like USC's figured out some stuff, especially offensively.
0: Yeah, they're pretty hot offensively right now. Seems like even health-wise they've gotten a few guys back in the rotation a little bit. Obviously, they got a lot of guys banged up. But there would have been better weeks to play them for sure. Uh, But they don't like playing in cold weather traditionally. It's not going to be cold at the start of this game. But uh, maybe for them it will be Southern Cali softies. But it's going to be nice. I don't know. know, USC still, they're in a good spot in the division right now. I think they can clinch if they win today, if I remember correctly. So yep. Magic they, numbers one for them. Yeah, so they still have something to play for, too. Um, you know, it's, It'd be one thing if they were already clinched. It might help you out a little bit, but yeah, yeah they obviously have to win as well.
1: Yeah, CU's run defense ranks 103rd nationally after yielding 381 yards on the ground to ASU. So you've got Ronald Jones coming into town. Dude's rushed for over 400 yards the last two weeks. We'll talk about more more of this on our video preview, but to me he scares me more than Sam Darnold does going into this game.
0: Yeah, well, he's a freak too. Uh, reminds me a lot of Jamal Charles, the way he runs. Watching him play is a ton of fun. Yeah, uh, there are 20, I mean, what is that, 27 teams worse than us in our defense in the country? I would imagine that all 27 of those teams are not even close to being bowl eligible. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, It'll be interesting. I'd have to look that up and see for sure, but I bet a lot of those teams are getting smoked week in and week out. So it's almost kind of crazy that we even have a chance to make a bowl with a run defense that poor. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's hard to look at though.
1: They're going all black in terms of their uniforms against USC. I don't the best of records with, with that combo if I remember right.
0: Yeah, but they, they use it for like big games, right? I mean, they they're all in seven, but they probably lost to USC twice and Washington twice and Stanford three times or something like that. You know what I mean?
1: Well, at some point you maybe try to mix it up a little bit. I don't really think the issue is the uniforms to be honest.
0: <laughs> Probably a fair point. Tyler. Yeah, I mean, I, I would <laughs> say that before last year, our record was pretty crappy in all of the uniform
1: combinations. <laughs> it's also going to be hall of fame weekend at CU. 10 new inductees into the school's hall of fame, including Stan Brock, Chad Brown, and Mark Kings Um, you, you're looking forward to uh, a senior day, or is it going to be so way so heavy on your heart with the whole Lindsay situation? It's going to be hard to enjoy yeah, the day. it's going to be an emotional one for sure. I'm going to have to get in there super early okay. because if I miss
0: it, I'll never forgive myself. Like, I get upset when I miss Ralphie, and I see her every time, pretty much.
1: If you uh, see a really emotional scene in the movie, do you shed a tear? It's happened for it's sure. Happened. Now, it's got, it depends on the storyline behind it. Like,
0: if it's wait, real corny-like, no. But if it's legit,
1: well, you know where I'm headed here, right? Are you gonna cry on Saturday? It's—I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I okay. did for Rashad Salam,
0: one tear okay. out there, a legit tear, so, like oh, down yeah. the cheek. Yep, got okay. one out. All right. Well, so, then, yeah, the, no, I'm not afraid to say that I can get emotional if the moment yeah. deserves it.
1: Big guy with the big heart. Sure. <laughs> The decommitments, you think it's bad in Boulder right now. The decommitments out there at UCLA, it's getting pretty alarming at this point. Day Day Coleman, one of their linebacker targets early in the process, uh, decommitted from UCLA recently, lined up an official visit to CU. CU's reaching out to a couple of those other decommitments. Yeah, I mean, we're not in a whole lot better place
0: there, other than I think future wise, we're in pretty good shape. UCLA obviously has different expectations. They have a first round quarterback they shouldn't be. What are they? 5-6-2, I think, right? Uh, Yeah, so that's a little bit of a different situation. See if we can take advantage of some of that stuff. I think moving forward, though, we're honestly in a pretty good spot. I was looking at the roster the other day, and I really, despite the struggles this year, I really do feel pretty good about what we can do next year.
1: Yeah. Uh, With UCLA, there's kind of a dilemma there with Jim Moore. A huge buyout, yet with every loss, I mean, they're... You talk about CU's run defense being bad. They're historically bad run defense this year. Aren't they giving over 300 yards on the ground a
0: game? Yeah, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they have a lot of four and five stars on the D-line. Like, that should never happen with that level of talent. I mean, they have Greg Rogers playing for them now. It's hard to imagine him being part of a defense that bad, too. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's got to be gone, I would think. But, and this is a private school. Someone's going to pay for that buyout. Okay. You know? Like, someone's got to be able to. Fork up the money for that Well
1: I had a chance to talk to One of the real bright spots on this Colorado football team and that's their place kicker James Stefano, here's that interview 16 of 18 now. Have you maybe even exceeded some of your own expectations for your first year kicking at the, the Pac-12 level?
2: Um, yeah, it's been a good year so far. Two games left, but um, just each kick at a time. It doesn't change. One kick at a time, one kick at a time, and focus on what.
1: Was there Were there any breakthrough moments on game days when you felt even more comfortable running out there for, for a kick?
2: I think after the first game against CSU I started to feel a lot more comfortable just knowing what to expect Uh, It was a big game, big crowd, a lot of noise so, you know, um, I knew what to expect and then I've just sort of carried on from there
1: Coach Max said the one long miss that you had, you almost tried to over kick it. Is that again maybe a learning process as you get used to this
2: level? I definitely thought of that on uh, on Saturday before the 50. I think it was 53 yarder. Definitely thought of that. Um, just what not to do. Yeah, I hadn't been in that position before to be honest. So now I have been in it, and hopefully I can keep making them those long ones as well because I um, know I've got the distance in my legs. So it's just about accuracy. I think you had said 55 is kind of the range you feel comfortable at. Yeah, I feel comfortable at 55. Not to say that I wouldn't want to attempt something a bit longer. I mean, if it's for the team and if it's to help us out, I'll do whatever the coach wants me to do. So if it's further out, it's further out than that.
1: What's the longest you've made just in practice or just, you know,
2: messing around you by yourself? Uh, back in Australia, just messing around with some of the boys. Uh, I think it was like 60 or 61 or something like that. So, okay. I mean, that's just no pressure, though. A bit of fun with the guys in the, in the local park, having a kick with the coaches and that type of thing. So that was, that was a bit of fun. Have you felt any nervousness
1: going out there or did your soccer background kind of help you uh, feel calm running out there on game days?
2: Yeah, like I said before, the soccer background did help. Um, I mean, on the weekend, there was a 28-yarder that I felt probably more nervous about than any other kick this season, really, because, I mean, it, it put us ahead. And I wish we would have won it in the end, but um, it did put us ahead. But that one, I, I mean, 28-yarder, I still felt probably more nervous with that than I have.
1: Is there confidence though that you gain when you see, see keep seeing those go through? I mean, you say it's one kick at a time, but can you also gain confidence and not have that? Uh, get, may, get, have you
2: get cocky or anything? Uh, of course. I mean, it, Staying humble is something that I've been taught from a young age from my parents, um, and then going through sport. So you try and stay as humble as you can, and that's why I say one kick at a time because you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, and you don't want to dwell on even making kicks because the next kicks could be the most important of your career. So it's just about making that next kick.
1: You were one of uh, 20 semi semi-finals for the Lou Groza. Had you heard of that award before they then uh, added you to it?
2: Uh, I had, uh, and Aussies actually won that before Brad Craddock when he was in Maryland, and actually Coach Wilson was his, was his strength coach then as well. So it was pretty funny. We, we had a bit of a chuckle. Of about that but again um, I can't worry about that right now I've just got to finish the season off and hopefully help the guys out there that are are killing themselves every day to to win a couple more games
1: and how's life off off the field getting uh, used to life here in Boulder
2: yeah life's good now we had a bit of a hiccup um my wife had to go back home for personal reasons, and she's back now and she's settled in. Um, so yeah, we're we're good. We did buy that puppy that I mentioned probably a few weeks ago, so he's cool. Um, but life's, life's pretty good. What kind of what kind of dog did you get? He's a Dachshund mix uh, Chihuahua. She likes the small dogs, so we got him. But he's 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 good fun.
1: Anything that's different about America from from what you you know from what you thought it was going to be like coming over here?
2: Um, Boulder's very different. Like when we go road trips to LA or was Arizona on the on actually like i was away from melbourne away from home in boulder it, it feels like home it's green it's it's nice it's the, the weather you don't know what you're going to get sometimes um so it feels definitely feels like home and i think that's helped me out a lot will you and your wife
1: get to go home over winter break at some point
2: uh yeah, we're tossing up whether to go it depends what happens with the team and when we play and obviously we'd love to make a ball game so i'm hoping i go home next year in may rather than, than this year over christmas so
1: Pro Kick sent a bunch of guys to the United States I think Utah has used them quite a bit are you hoping that maybe you're the start of a pipeline that Colorado can generate with that
2: program? Yeah, I mean if, if, if the guys like what they're recruiting then why not? Uh, the guys do a fantastic job there and they primarily focus on kicking and punting and, and I mean the, the right guy would speak for themselves the success they've had in sending guys over but I mean here at Colorado, I mean look at Kenny, he, the guy's having a really good season as well and you know um, he'll be punting here next year so if, if after that they want to look at pro kick, then yeah, but um, yeah, it's definitely a good program. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Man.
1: So Stefano leads the buffs with 79 points. Philip Lindsay right behind him at 78. Uh, if he can hold on to that small lead, Stefano would be the seventh freshman in program history to lead the team in scoring. Um, and uh, Will Oliver was the last to do that in terms of freshman leading the team in scoring. He did it back in 2011. What can you say about Stefano at this point? Yeah, he's a beast
0: he isn't even making it look tough like everything is going right down the middle plenty of distance I honestly there was a field goal I forget which game it was I didn't even pay attention to that's how confident I was that he he was going to be making everything at this point I mean he's really good uh you know we have him for three more years technically so that's nice I mean you have to feel pretty solidified about how that's going to be going for Colorado moving forward uh so that's a nice feeling to have you can Obviously work around your play calling a little bit if you feel comfortable with a kicker.
1: Yeah. kickers ever leave early for the NFL? Has that ever happened? I mean I'm sure it's happened at some point.
0: I'm sure it has happened, but it probably didn't work out in
1: their favor. (laughs) (laughs) Well what's funny is Mason Crosby was maybe toying with the idea and Dan Hawkins, his first meeting with the team, he pointed out Mason Crosby in the team. Uh, meeting and said, we need to keep this guy. Uh, so, as great as Mason Crosby was, he even he didn't leave early. Uh, Alright, let's go into the Buff Stampede mailbag here. L. Rod asked, we had a brief Jawan Winfrey sighting against Arizona State. Hell of a block. And then nothing. You think he's in the doghouse because of the UCLA game? I don't think he's in the doghouse because of the UCLA game and I would use LaVisca Chenault as my example that I think it's just a situation. They want those three seniors out there all the time.
0: Yeah. And you can – I mean, he's had okay games, but he's also dropped some passes, and you can tell he's not fully healthy either. I mean, he's not exactly getting open outside. He's had a few plays inside where he's had some success. So you'd think he'd be out there at some point, but it's not like he's notably better than any of these other guys, so it's hard to really put him out there.
1: We'll get into all this stuff in in the spring, but it is going to be an interesting battle between – uh, those guys coming back with LaVisca Chenault you pretty much think is a, a lock to be a starter, and then you've got KV Onanto and Winfrey for that other receiver spot. That's going to be a pretty heated competition.
0: I mean, I, I think KV Ento is going to be the best receiver on the
1: team next year, so
0: okay. I feel pretty good about those. I mean, they start three pretty much anyway, so I think all three yep. of those guys will play. Jay McIntyre will play a ton.
1: Katie Nixon as well. Yeah,
0: Katie Nixon. I mean, I honestly think the wide receiver grouping might be just as good, if not better, next year.
1: Elrod also had a uniform question that read, You guys think somewhere along the way, uniform choices alienated from what was chosen before the season by the seniors. They certainly couldn't have expected before the season to be wearing black jerseys on the road twice, and it's been a few seasons since we saw gold, black, gold so many times in one season. Overall, I wish people didn't get so worked up about uniforms. They're fun, and they're for the players. I personally was hoping for black, gray, black against USC. Get too long-winded for his own taste on that. Yeah, man, that's a long one for you, Luis. But <laughs> What is your take here? I, I agree with the, the last
0: point 100%. People get really worked up about the uniforms. It's so ridiculous. Like, you're rooting for the team either way. Who cares what they look like? All the uniform combinations are pretty good. There's some uglier ones out there, for sure, on other teams. You could be a fan of a team that
1: has terrible Armour uniforms, for example. Yeah, that's true. I get kind of the argument, and this is, it happens to come from people that are a little bit older, about when they go too long without the t- traditionals. I kind of get that a little bit. It is, a, it is for the kids, though. You want to give them yeah. more of the say. But you got to go traditional at least a third of the schedule, don't you? To at least have your look on a, a fairly consistent basis.
0: I don't know. I mean, it hasn't really hurt Oregon. I don't even know what their traditional uniform is now. I mean, we obviously don't have as many combinations as them, but I don't know. I think it's kind of fun to be able to, like, switch things up. You don't really want to get tied into one image nowadays, so it's cool to switch things up. I do think they need to get a little more creative with some of the additional pieces they put on the uniform, though, because that stuff is really interesting. It'd be cool if they did, like, one uniform a year where that they just used once.
1: Okay. Buff predictor had a lot to say. hmm Catch my breath here so I can get into this. <laughs> If the offense was supposed to be ready-made for results to carry this team early on, and it falls as flat as it did in the early part of the season, if the defensive line is such a clear weakness on this team and there are literally no reasons to feel confident in recruiting skills and the closing ability of the current defensive line coach, how does Mac justify keeping the status quo? Or does he? I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but for this football program to look towards being a perennial winning bowl eligible team that competes regularly for the Pac-12, Mac needs to rethink the paradigm of working towards cultivating diamonds in the rough. It works when rebuilding, but I don't think they want this as the formula for taking the next step. I know that the team is 3-4, plays away from being 8-2. But that, to me, is a loser's, loser's lament. The staff produced a soft team, and they are not recruiting at the level of their peers. Recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. While I catch my breath, Tyler, jump into this.
0: <laughs> well, by and large, his point is right. I mean, obviously, that is a pretty clear weakness of the team and has been for a while. What I would say is when the coverage bare, you can't feel all the shelves instantly. There's going to be some stuff that falls through the cracks, and you also don't. Guess right. I mean, recruiting at the end of the day is partially a guessing game. You're taking a chance on some of these guys, and you're not going to be right about everybody. Now, D-line is one that you can't really miss on if you want to be good long-term over uh, a long period of time consistently, for sure. So it's a, a concern, absolutely, but, I mean, again, he's done a pretty good job in a lot of different areas, and uh, they have to obviously put the focus on that moving forward. Um, I think Chevrini needs to do a better job on the defensive side of the ball, too. He's a recruiting coordinator, not just a wide receiver coordinator. You know what I mean? He's getting a lot of these guys a wide receiver, but you have to be able to get guys on the other side of the field, too. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, the diamond in the rough thing, you know, you're going to miss on some of those guys for sure, but he's done a really good job of finding talent that no one else could. That's It's hard to really make that a negative thing. Um, But you do have to obviously get some of these bigger guys. I think the problem, too, is in Colorado, it's hard to recruit defensive players, especially in the trenches. Uh, You don't have that level of athlete typically in Colorado, so you have to go elsewhere, and you're competing against teams that are in-state for a lot of these guys. It makes it tougher. Now, O-line, where you don't have to be quite as athletic, Colorado does pretty well there. But how many defensive line studs have you found from Colorado in the past 15 years? There aren't many that I can think of.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree with what what you guys a lot of what you guys both say Um, it's not as black and white as that though Uh, Dan Hawkins produced a recruiting class that ranked 15th in the country where you could say a couple of McIntyre's classes have been much better than that class so it's not again it's not all in the rankings you're never going to consistently rank better than a USC and a UCLA it's just not realistic if you're Colorado but to to his point, given the success they had last season, given the facilities, I felt like they should have used that momentum to at least get a few more blue chippers in this cl- this current verbal class to go with. And I don't even want to even call them diamonds or rough. Most of the guys in this 2018 class that are verbally committed have other Power 5 offers. Um, but I, 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 they needed to get, at least get a, maybe three or four blue chippers I think in that class to really seize on the momentum of last year. Does that make sense? Did I just completely talk in a circle there? No,
0: yeah, I think 100%. They haven't gotten quite as far along as you thought that they would, for sure. Um, And to see, I mean, obviously they had a lot of guys out of the same schools in Texas last year, and they're not having nearly as much success there this year. I'm not not 100% well-versed in if DeSoto just doesn't have as many guys this year. We have one committed, obviously Josh Giants. Quite a few of the other ones, though, haven't even shown us much interest, which is a little surprising given how successful we were there last
1: year. Yeah, they had the Green brothers defensively, but it, they had lost a ton off that 6A championship team there at DeSoto, if using that as, uh, as your example there. Um, yeah, I think we've dissected that question enough. Let's move along to PA Buff. He asked, on recruiting, who else is being most highly targeted for 2018? Who are the recruits out there most likely to actually commit to CU? Where is there possible jeopardy of decommits? We've already talked about the decommence thing, I think, on the last two shows. Um, And then in terms of your other questions, I'm hoping to have a buff Stampede Bits feature up on the site later this week with some more insight into who their highly targeted guys are. There's going to be some visitors officially, unofficially for the USC game. And then December 8th is going to be a huge recruiting weekend. Um, Like we do a few times on this podcast, kind of save some of the recruiting stuff for our paying subscribers. It's a good time to, you know, the early signing period is only about a month and a half away. So if you've thought about signing up to BuffsTheMP.com, we're going to have a lot of recruiting stuff in the coming weeks here. Wyndon Buff asked, who's your least favorite coach in the Pac-12 least favorite fan base? I've got an easy answer here, but I'll let you lead off, Tyler. Yeah, uh, so the least favorite fan base for me,
0: depending on the sport, uh, for football, there's two, ASU and Oregon. Um, and for whatever reason, they have always really rubbed me the wrong way. And for basketball, it's easily Arizona. They're probably my least fan base in the history of anything I've ever encountered in my entire life. So, uh, f- least favorite coach, I mean, it's Todd Graham. Yes, but it just seems like so easy to say that. Um, I mean, there's no one else that really stands out to me though, which is kind of the frustrating part of it. Is there anybody? I mean, Mike Leach is obviously annoying at times, but he's also hilarious yeah there's nobody else that really oh Jim Moore Jr for okay. sure I don't like Jim Moore at all
1: okay Todd Graham is I think yeah. if you ran a poll on our website <laughs> he might be up in like the 80% yeah, somewhere I think that's probably fair well a lot, a lot of the other coaches in the Pac-12 are actually really likable
0: yeah I mean Helton is pretty likable David Shaw is pretty likable Peterson is really likable you know yeah. Leach is obviously likable for a lot of people as well yeah so I mean I guess Rich Rod probably would be in the unlikable category as well
1: yeah In terms of fan bases, for me, basketball, Arizona, that's a slam dunk. Not even close. I've got a different answer for uh, football. It's Stanford. Those guys are so (laughs) apathetic that they don't deserve a good football team. Yeah, that's a good answer. They've got a great stadium, great weather, a good football team now for a long time, and yet they could care less about it. Yeah, they're too important. Got to go change the world. In terms of just... Fan base I hate the most in general, not just Pac-12, would be Texas because of the whole Daryl Scott saga. <laughs> I, I told you I got two death threats in my email box. One said if you ever bring your behind, I'm, I'm uh, censoring it there, to Austin, you will not leave alive. So that was, that was a, a yeah. fun email to get. That sounds like something that somebody from Texas would do pretty often. All right. J.G. Buffs asked, which current CU basketball player would be able to help the football team the most? And vice versa, which current football player would be able to help the basketball team out the most? In terms of basketball player helping football, that's gotta be Evan Batty. Nope! No? You're kidding me right. Put him at corner. Okay.
0: Yeah, I knew you were gonna say that, so I had to come up with something else. <laughs> George King, I think, would probably be a pretty good athlete somewhere, too. Yeah. This kinda, kinda doesn't fit into a great position, but maybe wide receiver. I, tight I end? I think he'd be a tight end. A little small, though, right now. Big thing? So? be like 220. Okay. I mean, he has a receiving tight end. Yeah, somewhere in that tight end receiver role, he'd be pretty yeah. fun. But I think McKinley Wright could be a stud in the second Okay. He's a freak
1: athlete. He does have the hips. Yeah, that's, a good, that's actually one that I hadn't thought of that's pretty good. Um, Evan Batty would be yeah. really fun to watch. Yeah. I don't even know where he would play. Defense somewhere. He'd probably, he'd probably play tackle. You know, okay. beef Yeah, him
0: yeah, up, yeah. Beef yeah, him yeah. up and
1: put him at left tackle because he's got great feet, man. Yeah. I mean, he would be a good football player too, you would think. The other side, uh, KB on Ento says he's the best basketball player on the team. I haven't seen him personally. I could see that. He's a ridiculous
0: athlete. I mean, Jay McIntyre was a good basketball player in high school for sure. Uh, Montez apparently was really good Mm -hmm. too from what people tell me. But, yeah, we've heard a lot about KB on Ento being real nasty
1: on the basketball court. Ronnie Blackman says he's uh, one of the best on the team too. Yeah, well, he's not playing against guys who are 6'9". Could be like a little Nate Robinson out there.
0: I have a feeling he's probably not Nate Robinson. <laughs> All right. All right.
1: I like that question though. Nipis 13 had this to say Can we confirm a report of a 25 point and 10 assist game by McKinley Wright in the scrimmage against SMU? I remember Tyler thinking we just don't have enough good players to be better this year for football. But do you, Adam, think it's a player's inability? Coaching, developing players and their discipline or play calling that is playing the biggest part in our inability to win some of these closer games. I'm hung up on dumb errors, mainly penalties. Attributing it to the coaches not demanding discipline. So first off, the 25.10 assist game by McKinley Wright. Was that reported somewhere? Did I miss that? Yeah, it was, I forget where it was reported, but yeah, I did see that same thing as well. All I heard is that McKinley Wright was the best player on the court for both teams in that scrimmage.
0: Yeah, someone, I think, actually, I don't know if it's 100% right, so I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but I think Jake tweeted something about Jake Spiro? A, a source, yes, oh, okay. Saying, saying that he confirmed it. So. The 25
1: and 10? Yeah. Well, I'm sure he wouldn't put that out there if he didn't have it from a good source, so uh, yeah, I mean... Again, all I heard was that their rebounding was atrocious. Offensively, they looked good, and McKinley Wright was a stud in that scrimmage. In terms of the football question, uh, the dumb errors, yeah, the, there are at times. They, but I think sometimes you, because it's so close and CU's the team you watch that all those mistakes really drive you nuts. But if you turn on college football on a Saturday, right. a lot of teams right. make a lot of stupid mistakes. Right.
0: Yeah, there have been penalties, but that wouldn't even be in my top five of the US, for a while.
1: Yeah, these USC's days. had 10 more penalties on the season than CU. Yeah. Uh, so that would not be it for me. To me, it just simply, if I have to, I mean, again, it's with a lot of these things, it's a combination of things. But the number one thing is just size slash talent on the lines.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's pretty much what I've said throughout, like like he pointed to here, and I still feel like that's the case. I mean, McIntyre's right, and I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but scheme-wise, it's not like they're giving up huge, gashing runs outside of Khalil Tate, who is doing that to literally everybody. You know, like, they're just getting run over, and at some point, you need the personnel to be able to stop these guys. All it takes is four or five yards of carry, and you're going to get first downs every single time yeah. if you can't stop someone. That's not necessarily a scheme issue. Now, obviously, there are things that they do that we don't like scheme-wise from time to time, especially offensive play calling has been an issue here and there throughout. But, again, you can't make guys catch wide open touchdown passes. That's happened multiple times in this game, or in this season.
1: And now these coaches are the ones that recruit these guys that, that need to get more size and talent on the line. I think O-line, they, it's tough to say until some of these guys get their feet wet, the Colby Purcells, the Will Shermans of the world. But I think I like what's in the pipeline there. But D-line, man, you got to be really concerned about what's in the pipeline there. Yeah,
0: I agree 100%. I mean, there's going to be some guys who are going to have to really step up and improve in the next few years.
1: All right, Tyler, it's time for your updated Pac-12 power rankings. All right, so
0: it's pretty separated at this point between the top half and the bottom. Oregon State, obviously a lot of people picked them to win that Cal game. I didn't really understand why that was the case. Uh they ended up falling apart at the end like they do in literally every game. So no surprise there, they're still at number 12 for me. Cal's at eleven for me right now, honestly. Uh they were pretty unimpressive in the game against Colorado. Didn't have a whole lot of weapons on either side of the ball. Um I'm not sure what their recruiting class looks like right now, but I didn't see a whole lot to tell me that they're gonna be good next year either, honestly. Uh Oregon, you know, they're pretty ugly as well. Overall, haven't done much defensively, kind of getting smoked as the end of the year goes on. Colorado, I have at what would that be, number nine overall. Uh, big opportunity to win that game against Arizona State and kind of get themselves out of the bottom half of the conference and they fell apart in the fourth quarter. Same issues there that we've seen all season. It's hard to really put them any higher at this point, just given uh, the teams ahead. They, they have UCLA, uh, they're num- number eight for me. Obviously, without Josh Rose and their About as bad as you can be in the conference, they're not going to win a game if Josh Rosen doesn't play the rest of the way. Uh, We played against them, but still lost, even though they they had Rosen. It's still hard to put us above them at this point. Uh, Utah have next. um, Got smoked by Arizona State at home two weeks ago. They haven't really – I mean, they obviously just beat UCLA, I would say they've they got UCLA without Josh Rosen and Arizona without Khalil Tate. Those are their two conference wins. That's pretty friendly scheduling from Utah uh, for sure. I have Arizona State 6. That's a pretty strong number 6. The gap between Arizona and Utah is, I mean, you saw them play two weeks ago. And it's uh, pretty substantial. Um, all those teams in, that are down below this are probably going to make a bowl game pretty comfortably. Arizona State being one of those most likely. We'll see how that goes, though. Um, Stanford I have next obviously lost opportunity against Washington State there to kind of you know they they would have had Washington for the Pac-12 North Championship this week basically is how that would have played out. They still have a chance there, but that's going to obviously be a lot more difficult now. Um, Arizona I have at number four. They probably could even be third. Um, you know, obviously got pretty beat up by USC in that game. That was pretty dominating performance. Kittle cool. Tate looked like he came back to earth a little bit. Still ended up with a big game, but. USC definitely overmatched them Washington State good bounce back win obviously against Stanford Needed that one quite a bit They're still alive in the Pac-12 North race too They still have Washington in the final game of the year So we'll have to see how that one ends up USC top team in the South Number two overall They've bounced back pretty strongly in the past few weeks here They look pretty good on offense Could be a high scoring affair this weekend for sure And then Washington I think is the pretty clear Number one in the Pac-12 at this point
1: all right, we're not going to do your initial power rankings for men's basketball because you've got uh, your predictions piece coming up on BuffStampede.com later this week. Mm-hmm. You've produced uh, your first two uh, of your four-part series, kind of previewing the season. I know a lot of the hoops heads out there really uh, appreciate that now that uh, Benjamin Burroughs is not doing his... Uh,
0: yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. I won't live up to that, so sorry if you guys expect me to, for sure, that he is an unbelievable writer, and I'm really going to miss that whole aspect of his blog and all that, so hope you're listening, Ben. We love
1: you. Well, I we like you your, already. I liked your preview piece on the schedule. That takes some research. Uh, what were your main takeaways, just in terms of what, maybe what you learned as you were researching it and putting that piece together?
0: Um, there wasn't a ton that I really learned, because I follow this stuff pretty religiously year-round, I guess I would say, but... I mean, it's going to be – I don't think people realize how good this schedule is. They play a very difficult non-conference schedule, uh, put together really smartly, I think, in that this is a young team. This would be a tough schedule even for a team likely to make the NCAA tournament. This is going to be a learning experience overall for this group. Uh, There's going to be probably quite a few losses in it, honestly, because they play so many good teams along the way. There's only two teams that I would really say – are bad basketball teams in the schedule and they play them in the first and third game of the year, Northern Colorado. And even them, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up being a mediocre to bad basketball team rather than being, you, you look at those teams in the 300s or the RPI rankings, and Ken Palm rankings, whoever you wanna use, those are the teams that really hurt your strength of schedule. The only team we see this year that's gonna fall into that category is Kinnipiak, Kinnipak, I don't know exactly how you say that, to be honest, uh, they're pretty bad. Uh, they play a lot of local teams, which is cool. They got DU, Northern Colorado. Um, they got Air Force and CSU all on the schedule. So that's pretty sweet. And they also have New Mexico on the schedule too for the first time in a long time, obviously a little bit farther out, but still pretty close as well. So from, from the one overall thing that I think people will learn from it is that I expect this schedule to finish top 100 nationally pretty comfortably, uh, which probably isn't going to help us make an NCAA tournament just in terms of wins and losses. I don't think there are enough winnable games to get there, but if they surprise, they're definitely going to be in the running because they do play a tough
1: schedule. And then your second piece was breaking down the Colorado Buffalo's roster. Uh, not go player to player. I guess one question I would ask you off that piece is who who's your X-Factor player? I've heard Neyman Wright, Lucas seward Tyler Bay, even Dallas Walton. Is there a guy you feel like is really a key for this team to maybe exceed those expectations? Yeah, I think for me it's Lucas Seward because
0: their size is an issue, and if he's able to stay on the court, stay out of foul trouble, and actually guard a little bit, this team's going to be better than people expect. It's got to average double digits for this team. There aren't a lot of scorers on the roster this year. Uh, you know they need to have multiple guys putting in eight to eleven points a game for this team to be successful. You're going to have George King and maybe McKinley Wright too. Everybody else is going to kind of have to. You know they're going to have their games where they play well and the games where they're not. See, where it's really important to me because he can be a consistent piece and also add some shooting for us. I think if he has a really good season and kind of steps it up as a sophomore, Colorado's has a chance to surprise a little bit.
1: And then your next two pieces will run uh, your, basically, overview of the other Pac-12 teams will be up on the site on Thursday. And then on Friday, uh, the morning before they officially tip off the 2017-18 season, we'll have your predictions. And if memory serves, you go records of all the Pac-12 teams. You even do an all-conference team. Is there anything else involved in your... Yeah, we do all-defense,
0: all-conference. I think I did an all-rookie team last year, all-freshman team. I'm going to do that again this year. Uh, I usually do some – on the end, I just kind of throw some bold predictions out uh, specific to CU just for fun more than anything else. Uh, yeah, we obviously go through CU's record, who I, what I think is going to happen there. I don't do that game by game, but we'll kind of talk about the games that I think are, you know, 50-50, stuff like that. And uh, I'll do predictions on where they finish in the Pac-12. And then I do um, predictions on who makes the tournament from the Pac-12
1: and all that kind of okay. stuff too. Cool. Yeah. So the early signing period was today, Wednesday and Elijah Parquet guard from Texas and Daylon Coons from Denver East, both inked uh, and signed their letter of intent. They do have an open scholarship. It looks like at this point that is going to be saved for the spring. It could either be for a prep recruit that emerges during his senior season or potentially for a transfer, uh, We've talked about Parquet and Coons on the show. I know we're both going to get out to see Coons play in person. Parquet, it's an interesting situation because he had that rotator cuff injury that kept him a little bit under the radar, but you, you hear from people out in Texas, it sounds like he's uh, really underrated because of that injury.
0: Yeah, we've done really well in Texas, finding guys that other people haven't seen, obviously. Andre, George King, guys who ended up being big parts of our program that were really under-recruited out of Texas. So... Um, you know, I trust their judgment there, and it would be interesting to watch how his season goes. Usually, with basketball, you get a pretty quick idea of whether or not the kid can play at the next level just by how he's performing against his peers. It's not like football, where sometimes you're playing on a stacked team, you don't get as many touches, or you're playing in a bad league, stuff like that. Like most of these kids from Texas are coming from power leagues for the most part, um, and in other parts of the country too, that play against big, co- big time competition in the AAU circuit. So you get, obviously, more experience and knowledge about these kids against legit D1 athletes.
1: What are your expectations, going back to the guys that are currently on campus, for for CU's opener on Friday night against UNC? That tips off at 6 p.m. with TV coverage on the Pac-12 Mountain regional channel. So I don't think you can get to see that in high def if you can't make it up to Boulder. What, What do you want to see on Friday night? A win, really. I mean, you just want to
0: get off on the right foot. This is a team that... Isn't very good for sure, but you know, this is the first time that these guys are gonna be playing together, so uh, obviously, you don't want to start off the season losing to Northern Colorado. I'm sure Tad Boyle doesn't either. That's you know, obviously, he came from there, so you know, we'll see how it plays out. They're expected to be a pretty bad team in this in the big sky outside of the top 250 teams in the country, according to rankings. So, you know, they returned Jordan Davis, he's a guy who scored 20 points a game last year. We obviously have had issues with high volume scores in the lower divisions in the past. So that's the one guy that you probably want to watch out for. I'd like to see them obviously dominate the boards. It sounds like we're struggling there. So if we have issues with Northern Colorado on the glass, that's not going to be great. Although this is a young team, and a lot of these other teams have guys who have been in the program three or four years. Rebounding is obviously a physicality thing, similar to what we always talk about in football, experience wins in that regard. With a bunch of freshmen, you're going to get beat up a little bit.
1: There were three UCLA Bruins arrested over in China uh, on Tuesday. In, in case you've been under a rock, uh, middle ball brother, were those other guys expected to be big time contributors for that team?
0: Uh, yeah, the other two are definitely going to play. Uh, there's a well, coin- They
1: were. I mean, who knows what's going to happen now, right? Yeah,
0: I don't. I don't really think this will end up being a huge deal. I mean, I know they're trying to say China's going to put them in jail for three to ten years. That seems
1: <laughs> pretty unlikely.
0: Um, Yeah, LiAngelo Ball is not really a guy who's going to play a ton for them anyways. Cody Riley is the one who might start if if all things were as normal. He was the one guy that was expected to play the most. The other guy's name is escaping me right now, but he was going to be a bench player, uh, but definitely was going to play for them as well. So they have a ton of new pieces, so I think from that perspective, having three guys out is tough because you don't have a lot of depth. You want to see how those kids play together on the court, but they'll be fine all in all.
1: I would have enjoyed. I don't like, you know, to see people go through tough times. But these guys kind of brought it on themselves, obviously. With Larry Scott really making this push to expose the Pac-12 to China, when he got that phone call about this, I would have loved to <laughs> been a fly on the wall to see how angry he got. Yeah, probably not pleased. I don't. I mean, do we even know what they took? Was we it don't. a James Lo, a
0: James lobster situation? Or <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking like ten thousand dollars in clothes? Because that's obviously a different deal. But. Yeah. Yeah, I think by and large it will more or less go away and it's just kids being stupid. Oh, it seems like people well, – there was a bowl situation last year where a kid got caught stealing stuff from the store that was sponsoring the game even though they give them stuff for free at the ball game. Like, kids are dumb. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what would constitute a successful 2017-18 CU men's basketball season? Tyler, I know you're going to have your predictions, but yeah. just what, what – at the end of this season, when you look back, what, what would constitute that, that bridge between an unsuccessful or a successful season? Well, two things. Last year, a
0: lot of the guys that were in the program got worse. You obviously don't don't want to see that again. So you would like to see progress from guys who are here moving forward, and you'd also see like, like to see progress from the freshmen and the sophomores as they right. go throughout the year. You want to see Lucas Seward get better. You want to see McKinley Wright get better. You want to see Tyler Bay get better. You want to see those guys improve as the year goes on. I'm not sure game by game results.
1: Probably two steps forward, one step back, type. Right, tournament? yeah. I'm
0: not sure that, you know, like it wouldn't nothing really would surprise me in terms of wins and losses for this group other than making the NCAA tournament. Um and being really truly awful. Like I don't think they'd see them going through an Oregon State type type situation where they were like five and twenty seven last year. I don't see that either. But I don't know if the game results are as big for this year as just improvement overall, and you want to see these young kids look comfortable in the Pac-12 because if, that, if they get to that point moving forward, you have to feel pretty good about the program.
1: All right, I think that's enough basketball talk. Next week, it's a bye week, so maybe we can work in a little bit more in men's basketball talk, but uh, that's it for this week's show. Appreciate all of you for tuning in.